Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Lord Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you that your kingdom was inaugurated when you came to this earth and that you have returned to heaven as king at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And Lord, we long for the full coming of your kingdom. As we look at the divisions and as we look at the poverty and as we look at the disease, Lord, we want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done. We long for the day when you will return and make all things new and set all things right. But Lord, as we live in the tension now of uh, of knowing that your kingdom has come and yet it has not been fully realized, we pray for strength to endure Uh, to be people of the kingdom, among the kingdoms of this world. Lord, in in the midst of injustice, we pray we would be those who seek change. Lord, we pray that we would examine our own hearts and offer up repentance where we need to repent, forgiveness where we need to forgive, that we would seek justice and mercy, and that we might walk humbly with you. Lord, we're saddened in our country by the continual loss of life, even this past week as we see both uh, people in protests who have lost their life, we see police officers who have lost their life, we see both violence and brutality, Lord. We cry out and we say, how long, O Lord? This is not what it means to bear the image of God on this earth. And so, Lord, we pray for your mercy and grace. Lord, we pray for a just use of power in our cities and in our police departments and in our country. We pray that as a family, as a church family, you would enlarge our hearts for one another. During this time, it is so easy to find permission to write each other off because we don't see things the same. Lord, but we pray that you would encourage us to move towards each other. Lord, we pray for a special encouragement uh, for black people in our church, Lord Jesus, that you would encourage them uh, during this time. Lord, we pray for patience and perspective for those of us who are entering into this discussion, Lord, and that you would be with us by the power of your spirit. And Jesus, as we examine your word, we submit to you. We ask that your word might mend us, it might expose us, it it, it might bind us to each other, and it might lift up our spirits as we examine your promises this morning and the promise of Jubilee. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated. We have been going through this series called The Promises of God, and we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 4 today. But before we jump into that, uh, I want to mention that we sent out, as a leadership team, we sent out a letter to our congregation earlier this week. And I wrote the letter, and I had the leadership team read it, and they decided uh, that we wanted to send it out together. And the idea behind that was really to help give you some pastoral perspective and shepherd you through this time. And one of the reasons why it was long and one of the reasons why there was a lot of things that we said was because we're in a time where things are being communicated very shortly and abruptly, and they're not nuanced. They're not nuanced. 
And so we wanted to say, well, we do want to create some nuance. We do want to write something that's extended, that's long. We want you to read through it because right now we're getting things on Twitter that are very short. And it's very easy to get a message on Twitter and just make a split-second decision about what you think about that without really examining what it really is about. And as a church with people who are coming from very different backgrounds, it is a challenge to try and communicate with each other around those things when they're very short and pithy. You know, even as, um, even as we think about just some different areas in our society at this time or some different things where there's controversy surrounded them, we think about just the word protest. Now, Dr. Carl Ellis Jr., who is a, a black theologian and ethicist who I really like, he had some very helpful things to, about, to say about protests. And what the question is, are you for the protests or are you against the protests? And, and that's just not a helpful question because there's protests, there's rioters, there's people who commit violence, and there's anarchists present at the protests. And so when you give a spot-on answer of yes or no, we're not dealing with all the nuances that are happening in our society. And Dr. Carl Ellis does that really well in a blog post that I'll share later today. But there's no nuance there. So when we talk about the police, people say, are you for the boys in blue or are you against them? Well, for the people who say they're for the boys in blue, what about what happened in Buffalo where this elderly man got pushed over? You have to communicate nuance to say that's evil, that's wrong. Something should be done there. Look, even as we talk about the phrase Black Lives Matter, that has been a flashpoint. Are you for Black Lives Matter or are you against Black Lives Matter? Because Black Lives Matter is, first of all, a theological concept. Secondly, it's an organized movement. But thirdly, there were those who would take those organized movement and also make it into like a worldview slash religion. So first of all, if we talk about it just as a theological concept, do black lives matter? Absolutely unequivocally. And you know what, even as we look at the, 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 the basis for human dignity in the Bible, which comes from Genesis 1:27, that says male and female were created in the image of God, we have to understand that even that message, which says all people are created in the image of God, was given specifically to Israel, who was either coming out of slavery in Egypt or had been oppressed through slavery in Egypt for 400 years. So though that verse says all people have dignity, the weight of it is given to people who have been oppressed for 400 years. So if you have a problem with saying black lives matter because all lives matter, understand that the weight of even the, 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 the idea of all people being created in the image of God is given to people who are in oppression. So we have to be willing to have these discussions and nuance things out and not just say it's either this or that. That's why we wrote the letter. We wanted you to read it. We wanted you to wrestle. We wanted you to be challenged. We wanted you to think of things from different perspectives. Now that I've said all that, I know I've got you in your feels. That wasn't even the sermon. <laughs> that was just a warm-up. But I'll tell you a story to get your attention back. Today, as we look at Luke 4, we're looking at Jesus' self-announcement of ministry. And one of my favorite events in sports that is the most, in my opinion, the most ridiculous event in sports, is when pro wrestlers, not when they fight, but when they come from behind the curtain to do their self-introduction. 
You've seen it. It was actually on the other night. I was like, kids, we're not even going to watch this. Because they come out from behind the curtain, and the spotlight's on them. And when they come out, they're dripping in sweat. I'm like, what are they doing back there that they come out dripping in sweat? And there's nothing subtle about their entrance into the arena, right? They, they make huge steps like this. And their eyes, it looks like they're taped open because they're looking like this. And they, they point to someone in the ring, and, they, and then they go in the ring, you know, they pull the rope up, and they make some exaggerated, overstated step to get in the ring, and then they rip the microphone out of the announcer's hands, and they basically say, I'm going to crush so-and-so, right? And everyone's like, yeah. And then whatever happens, happens. It's, in my opinion, it's the most ridiculous, like, five minutes in sports. Today, uh, Jesus makes his self-introduction as he begins his ministry, as he steps into the ring. He defines who he is and what he's about, and what he's going to do. And here's what he says as he grabs the microphone in his hometown in Nazareth. He quotes uh, Isaiah 61. It says, Jesus came to Nazareth where, where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. The word of God. The year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was a year of freedom and restoration. We find the description of the year of Jubilee in Leviticus 25. It was the 50th year in Israel's calendar. And as I said, on the Day of Atonement, the day where Israel's sins were atoned for, a ram's horn would be blown to start the year of Jubilee. And if someone had fallen into poverty and had to lease their family land to someone else, in the year of Jubilee, it was given back to them. If someone had gone into debt in order to pay their bills, in the year of Jubilee, their debts were canceled. If someone had to sell themselves into work in order to pay their bills, in the year of Jubilee, they were released. The year of Jubilee was about freedom and restoration. It was an economic reset in the kingdom of Israel as they lived on the promised land that was given to them by God. It wasn't an economic redistribution, rather it was an economic restoration. If a family fell into poverty and started having to sell their land and sell themselves and spiral down and then generation after generation would fall into economic disrepair, this, the year of Jubilee, was there every 50th year to ensure that the poverty would only last one generation. And then the family would get that chance to have a reset. Not only that, but they would be united on their land, which was in the promised land. Christopher Wright says the Jubilee then is about restoring to people the capacity to participate in the economic life of the, of the community. 
for their own viability and society's benefit. In Leviticus 25, it talks about all these different rules with Jubilee so that people could find freedom and restoration. Part of that was to do no wrong to one another in light of the year of Jubilee. And it coming on the Day of Atonement, the day that our sins were, our sins were forgiven, it was a reminder to people, my sins have been forgiven so I can forgive this economic debt. My sins have been forgiven and my economic debt is forgiven as well. And for those who had wealth, there was a warning and prohibitions to say, don't use your personal economic situation for your own advancement, but rather use it to help those in need. Set the record clean, not worried about how they failed, but rather worried about restoring them in the year of Jubilee because the passage ends by saying, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. The promised land is my land. That's the year of Jubilee. But in the mind of the Israelites, as hundreds of years passed by, the year of Jubilee changed and how they thought about it. it. It became something that wasn't just about one year in 50 where people in poverty had an economic reset. It became something the whole nation longed for. Because of their disobedience against God, they were captured by other nations. And rather than being free in the promised land, they were taken prisoner in other lands. And they lived in those other lands apart from the land that God had given them. Because of their own sin and rebellion, they were taken into exile. And so the whole nation began to long for a jubilee when they would be freed from captivity and they all would be restored to the promised land. In fact, that's what Isaiah 61 is about. Isaiah 61 verse 3 and 4, if we can get that up on the projector to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of disrepair. And they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the former devastations. They will renew the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations." And what this passage is trying to convey is not just a restoration and freedom for those in poverty, but the whole nation being restored to the promised land. And God's salvation, God's jubilee would come through one figure, one Messiah-like figure. In verse 1 of the same chapter, it says, the spirit of the Lord God is on me. That's the Messiah talking. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. What's behind all that is that this Messiah figure is going to rescue Israel from their slavery and restore them into God's land. But God would also send this Messiah and there would be judgment as well for the oppressors. In 61 verse 2, he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's Jubilee and the day of our God's vengeance. In other words, those who had come and captured the Israelites, God's judgment awaited them. So as Israel's history progressed, Israel cried out, God, bring our jubilee. We're ready for our jubilee. We're ready to be restored. 
And though Israel was brought back to the land, they still lived under the oppression of other nations in their land. They didn't actually get their land back. They got to live on it, but it wasn't theirs. All that's the background of Jesus stepping into the ring in Luke 4. In Luke 4, he quotes Isaiah 61 to say, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When those wrestlers come out, when they come out of the curtain and they get into the ring, what they're essentially doing is saying, I'm here for this. I'm here to do battle. I'm here to destroy my opponent. Here is a list of things I'm going to accomplish in the next five minutes. And that is exactly what Jesus is doing here in Luke 4. He's saying, I'm here for this. I'm here for Jubilee. I'm here to restore. I'm here to set free. Me being here is the year of the Lord's favor. I am going to step in the ring and go to battle against sin in a sin-ravaged world. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. He's saying, I'm here for this. I'm here to liberate those oppressed by evil spirits. I'm here to heal the sick. I'm here to cleanse the unclean. I'm here to forgive sins. I'm here to forgive the sins of both oppressor and oppressed. I'm here to bless the poor. I'm here to warn the rich. I'm here to bring outsiders in. I'm here to do miracles that bring economic restoration to those in economic disrepair. I'm here to bring sight to those who are physically blind. And I'm here to bring sight to those who are spiritually blind. And that's actually what he does. If you read Luke 5 through the end of the book, that's what Jesus does. He proclaims jubilee. So when Jesus comes and he says these things, people have tended to look at this as simply a spiritual message that is detached from the real world. It's not. Jesus talks about our spiritual condition as well as our physical condition. It's not simply a spiritual message that's detached from the world. Jesus actually comes and does miracles for people that set them free. He gives sight to the blind. He heals a widow's son that helps restore her economically. Jesus is saying here that he has come to do battle with sin and the effects of sin. Essentially, Jesus, according to Kevin DeYoung, is saying this. I'm good news for the poor because I can meet their needs. And I'm good news for the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm good news for the captives in chains because I can set them free. And I'm good news for those in spiritual bondage because I can be their deliverer. I'm good news for the physically blind because I can restore their sight. And I'm good news for the spiritually blind because I will open their eyes to the glory of God. I'm good news for the oppressed because I will hear their cries for justice. And I'm good news for the spiritually oppressed because I will conquer sin and Satan. And as Jesus says these things, the crowd in Nazareth is astonished. And I think here's why they're astonished. Because if you read through this passage, you know what comes next after the Lord's favor is not a period 
but a comma. In Isaiah 61, it's a comma, and it says, and the day of our God's vengeance. But Jesus doesn't say the day of our God's vengeance. He ends with to proclaim the year of Jubilee, the year of Lord's of the Lord's favor. And what Jesus is saying is in me coming, I've not come to be the judge. When I return, I will come to judge the world. But now I am here to do Jubilee. But he doesn't just say he's here to do Jubilee. After he says this short, this short message, Jesus looks at the crowd and says, today in your hearing, this is fulfilled. And what he's saying is not just, I'm here for this. He's saying, I am this. I'm not just here for Jubilee. I am Jubilee. I am restoration. I am freedom. This is the Lord's, the year of the Lord's favor because I am here. You are hearing all sorts of things in the media and in social media. And if you're like me, you are wrestling, you are processing, you are thinking things through, you are hurting, you are having conversations as you hear all those things. That's good. As Christians, we need to be very engaged in our world. As Christians, we need to stand up for injustice. As Christians, we need to care about those who are hurting or oppressed. But in the light of all that, let me ask you, do you hear the jubilee trumpet? Or has the sound of everything going on in our world drowned that out? Do, do you hear the trumpet of gospel jubilee in Jesus? Do you hear the gospel message still in light of everything that's going on that, that Jesus is the atonement? Jesus is the atonement for our sins. He is the one who frees us from slavery to sin and restores us to God. He is the one that cancels our debt to sin. He is the one that brings ransom sinners home to God. But that spiritual message is not removed from the real world problems and brokenness and injustice and pain that we see. Rather, it pushes us right into the middle of it. See, the early church, as recorded in the book of Acts, celebrated Jubilee. Now, the, the word Jubilee is not in the book of Acts. But Luke, who records Jesus' announcement of Jubilee, also wrote the book of Acts. And what we see is the early church taking this concept of, ju of Jubilee and performing it on steroids. In Acts 2.42, they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Not just that they canceled debts, they sold their stuff to care for those in need. They made the problems of the weakest in the community their problems. Look at what, look at what uh, Luke says in Acts 4, 32 and 35. Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his, own, was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them all. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Think, think about this. This is not just like you and me owning property and selling it. 
this is a portion of land in the promised land. That now the people with money are selling their portion in the promised land in order to raise funds for people in their church community who have nothing. This is jubilee on steroids. There is this radical connectedness that they have as the people of Jesus, this radical generosity in selling portions of the promised land. You see, as Jesus steps in and blows the gospel trumpet of jubilee, do you hear it? But, but also, are you here for that? Like, are you here in this moment, in the midst of this cultural crisis that we're in, rightly so, but, but are you here for Jubilee? First of all, as we see from the early church and even from Jesus' pronouncement, what that means is acts of compassion. One of the things that I'm so thankful for in our church over, over the past, over the past uh, few months has been how generous people have been with the Mercy Fund. People have been giving so generously into that, and we've been able to help people pay their phone bill. We've been able to help people pay their rent. We've been able to help people with transitions. We've been able to help a person fix a roof that's leaky right before hurricane season. We've been able to collect food and donate to a recovery center. That's just not Christians being nice. That's Christians celebrating Jubilee. Acts of compassion and mercy. If you hear the jubilee trumpet, you will say, I'm here in this moment for jubilee. But it's not just acts of mercy. Jubilee wasn't just about being merciful, although it was definitely that. It was was about restorative justice. It was about setting things right for those who everything had gone wrong for. Whether people are oppressed by Satan or by systems, We cannot look the other way. As people of Jubilee, we have to be willing to enter in and set things right for those who are oppressed. The early church continued in Acts 6. The early church set up this system of food distribution for the poor. And accidentally, they created a system that excluded Greek-speaking widows. So if you spoke Hebrew... You kind of, the way it just worked, it was easier to get food. Now, this was something very concrete. This wasn't like differing opinions. There were women in the church who couldn't eat because of the language that they spoke. And as people of Jubilee, the early church adjusted that system so that it was just. They gave away power to Greek-speaking men in the church so that they could care for these widows. So listen, if if we're going to be people of Jubilee in this moment, it means that we have to engage acts of compassion and mercy. But it also means that we have to be committed to restorative justice. I mean, how much of what Jesus proclaims in Luke 4 is about restoring people? And so often, mercy, which is a good thing, can be drive-by. Like, I'll help and then I'm out. But justice often takes a radical commitment on our part to be in someone's life day after day after day, to deal with the systems that they're dealing with, to deal with the people that they're dealing with, and help them and see their life changed. I think that's been a challenge for our church, honestly. Because justice takes some form of commitment. I mean, when these brothers in Acts 6 were chosen 
to set things right for these Greek-speaking widows, it says that they were assigned a duty, like they had to step up and commit to it. I think our church struggles on some level to show up for any type of commitment, not just issues of justice. And that's not a guilt thing. That's a, do you hear the gospel trumpet? Do you hear the sound of jubilee? Let's respond together for that. I know as you hear other things in the culture, this doesn't answer all your questions. It doesn't solve every problem that we have. In fact, it might even make you stranger (laughs) to hear the sound of jubilee in the midst of everything that's going on and respond to that tune. The other day I was in my house and I had my headphones on and I had my Bluetooth from my phone to my headphones and I was in the living room with the rest of my family, but I was singing. And everyone's looking at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> We're watching TV. But, but I heard something that made me different than everybody else. And if you hear the gospel trumpet, if you hear the sound of Jubilee, and you step in with a commitment to compassion, with a commitment to justice as a representative of Jesus, you will not fit in with everything else that's going on. You will not fit in. But we are here, we are Christ's representatives, we are representatives of Jubilee until the final trumpet sounds, when Christ returns. And we won't have to struggle for righteousness or justice or mercy. He he will come and rule and reign in a kingdom of righteousness and justice and mercy. And you and I will experience a permanent freedom from sin, a final restoration to God in the new city. Jesus will return at that blow of the final trumpet and restore everything that sin has ruined and ransom sinners will be set free forever. Do you hear the sound of jubilee? Do you hear that gospel trumpet? As a church, we're going to have to wrestle on very, on a lot of levels, on varied levels of what it looks like for us to be the church in this moment. But we cannot do that if we do not hear Jesus proclaiming the year of Jubilee over us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Uh, We thank you that you have set us free and we have been restored to God. Lord, we pray that you, just as you were full of the Holy Spirit, we would be full of the Holy Spirit to be your representatives, to live out Jubilee, to be like the early church, all through your power and through your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.